All right, anyway, we're talking about warfare in the Bible. We've been doing this the last few weeks. Um, it's, it's a contextual thing. It's very much like uh, preaching today. You heard, like, at the beginning of the sermon, I talked about um, kind of this pop philosophy that goes around talking about, like, how you make choices in life. Use that as kind of a jumping-off point because, um, because Proverbs, the reading from Proverbs, talked about there's all these paths of the wicked, but then there's the path of the righteous, right? And that's, you have to choose, right? Which path are you going to go on? Um, obviously, you can't make that choice because you're a sinner. You always take the wrong path. Uh, it's Jesus who puts you on the right path, which I could have said that probably at some point in the sermon. Yeah, thought of it too late. Oh, well, um, that's fine. It is in the catechism, that's right. So, um, so you talk, you, whenever you're preaching or teaching, you're always, you know, you're speaking within a context, which means that if you don't, you, you have, we have to dig a little bit into the context of the writings, maybe to understand like what words mean, right? Or phrases or um, illustrations that are used. You know, like for example, um, Paul has this really crazy one. Um, it was like, all Cretans are liars. It's in the book of Acts. It's like, all Cretans are liars. Cretans, you know, people from Crete. Yeah, Cretans. Like, okay, I also have to turn off the, the uh, it's going to shut itself off periodically thing. Um, yeah, all Cretans are liars. Well, you've heard that before, right? <laughs> like, no, because you don't live, you don't live in that world, right? You don't interact with people from Crete. You don't have any idea. What, what does he mean, all Cretans are liars? That sounds like a, sounds like a, actually a terribly racist thing to say, <laughs> doesn't it? Uh, which, of course, it is. But, but it, it was a saying of the day, and so he uses it as an illustration. People understand, oh, I know what he means, right? All right, so we don't want this to shut off, right? That's the point? Yes. All right, auto lock, not two minutes. How about, you think 15 minutes is long enough? That, that's probably long enough. All right, all right, now we can do this again. Screen mirroring, put it back up on the screen. Good, 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 good. There we are. All right. This thing? This is an iPad. This is just an iPad. Yeah. Oh yeah. Don't let it do that either. That probably looked like fun up there. Well, this way I see the same thing you see. Actually, that's kind of nice in a way. Um, let's see what we're we talking about. All Cretans are liars. What's another one that he talks about? Oh, remember with Jesus? It's this one. Can anything good come from Nazareth? You're like, is that a real expression? Like, what's wrong with Nazareth? That sounds terrible. That's, it does. Yeah, they say that about Jesus. Can anything good come from Nazareth? It's kind of a backwoods place up in, Caper you know, near Capernaum in Galilee. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think if we have a version of that that's horribly, you know, toxic towards people group. We're not supposed to say any of these things anymore, <laughs> I suppose. It's not politically correct. Um, there's other kinds of contextual things. And, of course, what we're talking about now is that Paul is living in a world, as well as all of his hearers, in a world that is ruled by the Roman Empire, right? And with the Roman Empire, uh, there's occupying force everywhere, right? So they would station, um, you know, legions in towns and centuries and, and for regions, right, to govern uh, and to maintain the peace. Uh, Rome had a kind of a, had an interesting expression, which we can bring in. It's called the Pax Romanum. Ever, any of you heard Pax Romanum? You have? Okay. The Peace of Rome. So the way that Rome kept the peace is they said, and this comes up when you read the New Testament, is that you can believe, you can practice whatever religions you want, you can do whatever you want, as long as you say Caesar is, is king, Caesar is Lord. Yeah. So, like, for example, um, when Herod rebuilt the temple, 
he agreed with Rome to actually put the Roman insignia, the, the eagle, over the entrance to the temple. You're like, this is the Lord's temple. Well, Herod's not really a believer anyway. He's, a, he's an imposter. But then he's like, you don't fly the Roman insignia over your church. Right? It'd be like us putting, instead of a cross on the top of our church, putting an American flag on top of the church. It doesn't make any sense, does it? There's, we do have a flag, but the flag is, is actually lower than the altar. The altar is above, that's visually, right? That we're, we're citizens of heaven first and foremost, and only by God's giving are we a citizen here on this earth of, of this country. All right. So, uh, yeah, anyway, so Rome's a context for him. So people will understand these military um, kind of analogies because it's part of their day-to-day life. They have these daily encounters with Rome. Uh, this, of course, in the infancy story, infancy story with Jesus, right? It's like, oh, the whole world had to be taxed, meaning the whole Roman Empire was being taxed. They all, people would know what that means because that happens periodically. You know when they would tax people? When they were going to war, right? It was just like the United States of America. There was no taxes until we had to go to war, and then there's taxes, right? And then you have... Six or whatever, four, six, eight, however, God even knows how much money we spent on Afghanistan, right? Trillions and trillions of dollars. That's your taxpayer dollar. Well, maybe it's not your taxpayer dollar because they probably just printed it. So it's your inflationary dollars. All right. So that's your context. See, I can talk about, see how I brought in, you see how we're talking about, you take things from your contemporary setting when you're preaching and teaching. So I bring up Afghanistan because, of course, it's what's going on right now. All right, so Paul does the same thing. Let's, let's look, just to recap where we were last week, we're in Philippians 4, all right? And this is the conclusion of uh, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. So Philippians, church in Philippi. Yeah, grab a sheet if you want one. This is Ethiopian, by the way, in case you were wondering. Yeah, no, I still have a little bit of it left. It was the monthly coffee last week. Um, so he says, verse six, be anxious. Well, I could just read it off the sheet too. Never worry about anything. That's a kind of contemporary translation, but in every situation, let God know what you need in prayer and requests or supplication while giving thanks or with thanksgiving. Then God's peace, which goes beyond anything you can imagine or passes all understanding will guard your thoughts or hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Thoughts and emotions through Christ Jesus. That's just a paraphrase, paraphrastic translation. Um, because in the ancient world, I don't know if you know this, now you will. Uh, what belongs in your heart? Thoughts. What do you think is in your heart? Emotions, emotions right. <laughs> uh, but here, this is the seat of thoughts, right? So let your heart guide you means to not be guided by emotions, but by reason. <laughs> and your mind is, a, is the dwelling place of, of emotion, yeah, wisdom, knowledge, and also emotion actually sits in your gut, usually, which is weird. Yeah, you have a gut feeling. We still say that. When, when Jesus had compassion on the crowds, it says that his innards moved. That's a literal translation. We translate it as compassion, but it's like his, his bowels were entangled. <laughs> well, you, you felt that, right? Where you get that churning? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thought, wisdom, thoughts, actions. Right, so when we say out of, when Jesus says out of the heart proceeds all manner of evil, he's talking about thoughts, do, deeds. He's not talking about it coming from emotion. He's, it's coming from 
the things you're thinking. Yeah, I know. Now we're very emotional people. Um, yeah, we, especially because we've been taught now, this is a side note, um, because we've been taught that there is no, I'm going to put this so I don't get any text messages. Um, because there is no truth or truth is relative or reality is whatever you make of it. And all these different ways people talk about it right today. Like what's true for you is not true for me. You know, I make my own truth, that kind of thing. Um, then what that means is the only thing that people actually find compelling are emotional arguments, not, not thoughtful ones, but emotional ones. Yeah. So you have to compel people like, which is, which is terrible because it means that you actually just walk around guilting and shaming people for their behavior because you can't actually convince them that like, I don't know, um, that masks aren't very effective at controlling COVID because they don't care about the data. They don't care about the studies. They only care about how it makes them feel. So make them feel bad about it. Like I, the plexiglass thing is the thing that really drives me crazy. You have those at your work. Yeah, I know you just have to do whatever they tell you, but it's like, do you think that actually is doing anything? You have this huge gap between the plexiglass. It's like this, the virus doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't care. It's basically a sneeze shield, right? Like, like at the, at the salad bar, <laughs> which you probably should have that all the time anyway, because people come in and sneeze on you all the time. Right. All right. Just. Sorry to pick on you, Marie. <clears throat> I know. Well, when you're, especially when you're working for a, like a national, whether it's the federal or it's just a national corporation like, like USPS, um, you basically don't get very much leeway locally. Right? So it's the advantage of like, like our church body, for example, is very local. Each congregation you know, has extreme degree of latitude to do what, what's best for their local community. You know, within the framework that Jesus gives, as you heard in the sermon, right? Preaching, teaching, baptizing, sacrament, that stuff, forgiveness. Okay. Uh, Paul uses, we talked about this last word, just to, last week, just to recap, uses the word for guard, and the word there for guard is, what is it? It's right there. Oh, look, it pops up for you too. Yeah, Ferracia, Fureo, Right? Oh, look, you can even see the fancy definition up there, too. This is kind of fun. Ah, look at that. To watch, to guard. That's from Herodotus. All right, that's what HDT is. Yeah. Uh, to keep silent, to watch for, right? To guard, to watch, to be aware of. So remember, this is the watchtower language. This is a watchman at the gates, right? Um, and uh, think of the psalmist. How does he say? Set, set a watch or set a guard on my lips. Let not my heart incline to any evil thing. Have you heard that? It's in... Um, it's in evening prayer, right? So we sing it during evening prayer. So that would be Psalm 141, which is, yeah. Uh, Set a watch or a guard before my mouth, O Lord, and guard the door of my lips. Let not my heart incline any evil thing. So in the psalm, we actually ask God to be the one who sets... The, guard, the watch and the guard over so that the evil inclinations of our heart doesn't come out of our mouth, right? Yeah, right? I mean, it's a military thing, you know? Um, we'll get more to that in a minute. Guard means not only to prevent hostile invasion, but also to keep the inhabitants who are under attack from running away or going AWOL, which we talked about uh, last week. The military metaphor points to the protection that soldiers provide inhabitants of a city from enemies without and troubles within, right? So the watchman, the guard is looking both directions for, for outside attack, but also preventing watching inward 
uh, for dissension, divisions, the things we talked about in the sermon, right? Were mentioned in the sermon anyway. Note, uh, one note, we talked about this in the Congregation of Prayer yesterday online, that um, in that list of things that, that, I always hate reading that list from Paul, the works of the flesh. It's just terrible. Who wants to talk about orgies in church? But anyway, speaking of contextual, did I ever tell you this story? Oh, I, brought, I brought it up. Okay. So higher th- I, I told you. So we had a Higher Things conference at Vanderbilt University, which is in Nashville, right? And um, Vanderbilt isn't really, it's pretty secular. <laughs> it's very secular. So I had to get there early because I was helping. I was doing, you know, the technology stuff for them. And uh, the, the hall where they, where they were going to have the plenary speaker, so, you know, we, they would have like, one or two speakers that would do the, the big gathering teaching moments for this. This is a youth conference. Uh, the, the hall was being ter- torn down from a previous event, right, when we get there. And I was like, well, what was in here? I'm just curious. You know, what, what are you taking down for? And he's like, well, this is where we had our Roman orgy yesterday. I'm like, what? They actually have like a half-scale model of the Parthenon at, the, at Vanderbilt. So apparently they have like a Greek studies department or something. I don't know. Like, like seriously, it's like made out of stone, the whole deal, but it's like half size. For dwarves? I don't know. It's up on the hill, it's all lit up. Anyway, yeah, we have, I'm like, what, what? And like, oh yeah, we, we, we have a whole group. They, they, you know, it's like, uh, it's basically like uh, sexually permissive students for life or something. I don't know, <laughs> whatever the name of the group is. Yeah, so they just put it on. And, and the like, campus is like, it's fine to have an orgy in this room. I'm like, I felt like, like we're going to have to do some kind of like exorcism on this space before we use it. Woo-wee. What that? <laughs> that, that? Those are your college campuses now. Now you know. But did you hear about the university? Princeton has an atheist. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, the, the new head chaplain is an atheist, which is an actual, I mean, I, I commend them in this regard, is that atheism is a belief. You believe that your God is no God, right? Yeah, right. It's not agnosticism where you're just not really sure. It's, it's I believe in no God. My God is no God, that there is no God. The, the world is just a violent, terrible place and we can make the best of it. That's kind of the belief. That is a belief set. So they probably want a chaplain for other atheists. It's just kind of weird calling him a chaplain because it's like, what kind of comfort are you going to give? Right, and then you're going to oversee the other chaplains. This happens in the military too, though. Um, so they have a code, though, that, and I'm sure Princeton probably had, was it Princeton? I think it was Yale. Yale. I think it was Yale. Yeah. Yale, by the way, interesting story. Yale was started contra Princeton because they said Princeton was too secular. So then they started Yale to be like the actual Christian university. And look at where it is now. Yeah. Funny story. Um, what did I bring up? Oh, yeah, in the military, you know, they'll have, you know, like a commanding chaplain, and it might be a Muslim, over, and then overseeing Christians, but they have a code, right? And you, you don't trample on each other's, you know, people. But sometimes a Christian has to try to provide comfort to a Muslim in the trench, you know? Well, I don't know if we do trenches so much anymore, but, you know, by the roadside or whatever. So, oh, that's funny. That's military. Look at that. All right, so now you got a little bit about guarding, right? Um, and it's God, the Holy Spirit, who does this guarding. Now, I mean, we're on guard, right? As much as, as we can be, but we're equipped to be on guard by God's word, right? So God's, God says, here's what you should be aware of. 
uh, let's not talk about orgies again. How about divisions and dissensions, which were actual, we should look at that. What was I reading? Galatians 5, right? Da, 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 da. Now you get to see all the, how the sausage is made up on the screen, right? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Where's that whole length of length, list of fun stuff? There it is. All right. So look at what's right there. Dissensions. I don't know if you can see that. I can try to highlight it. Uh, nah, nah, nah. Oh, look at that. Okay, there you go. Dissensions and heresies. Those are both actual spiritual terms. So he's not just talking about like earthly kinds of evil. He's talking about evil within the church too. So there's the works of the flesh evident in the congregation. Now, of course, if you read just a few of Paul's letters, you'll find that he's, all, he's writing these letters to churches that have problems. <laughs> so no wonder, right? Yeah, but dissensions. Um, usually the dissensions, my experience in the congregation, are pretty minor. It's like, ah, I didn't like that hymn, Pastor. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, what do you, I, okay, fine. I mean, you can't, you can't make everybody happy. This is from our epistle today. That's Galatians, yeah, 520. Heresy is to, uh, is to speak against the truth. You wanna, we can pop up the definition, though, because uh, it's right out of the Greek. Right? So, uh, taking, a taking for oneself, a choosing a choice, a choice of election. Uh, and then you can see there, number five definition, a sect. It's a break-off. Right? Yeah. But, Isn't that what they said? Martin Luther was? Yep. yep. Yeah, Martin Luther was a heretic. Meaning he was teaching, he was, he was choosing to teach contrary to God's word is what they accused him of. Yeah, and he was making a break off. Dissension is a little bit different. That, uh, dikostasia, oh, that's a nice word, dikostasia, to stand apart, right? So that would be somebody in the congregation that says, I don't agree what's going on here. And then, and then especially if they take others with them and then they stand apart and then you end up with factions, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, I think most congregations actually know what these words mean. You know, I mean, it, look, we're, I didn't want to preach two sermons today, so I kept it where it was. But, you know, we've talked about this before, that the flesh um, has been crucified in baptism. But as Luther reminds us, or dies in baptism, is buried, that the old Adam is a damn good swimmer. <laughs> so it keeps cropping up. And then, it, and then it, so what you do is that each day, you know, asking for forgiveness, you put that old Adam back under the water again, right? And drown and die, you know? So we do this with the morning and evening prayer, right? You know, we say, th we thank him in the morning that he's kept us from evil. And at the end of the day, we ask his forgiveness for all the evil we've done. You know, like rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Baptismal rinse, repeat, right? Okay. But military, we're supposed to be talking military. All right, so... I don't have another handout for you. That's the end of the handouts, but I do have some other places we should look. What's probably the most famous one? What's the most famous military one? It's probably Ephesians 6. So if you've got a Bible, you can go there. Otherwise, you can try to follow along on the screen. Oh, let's not put it. Look at that. That's not what we want. Sorry, maybe I do need to bring my laptop so you don't have to see all the sausage there. Um, let's see. Where do we want to jump in? There it is. All right, so note the context here. I'm going to scroll up. First, you have, you have all this orderly language. We talked about order, military orders, right? Like, it's still up here. You know, Paul uses this analogy then to talk about how the church has been ordered, right? Uh, you can't have everybody in charge in the church. 
This is one of the failings, I think, of our church body in a way. There's, because God doesn't actually tell us how to organize the church politically, how to govern ourselves. There's no prescription. There is for the state, but there isn't. And not even really for the state all that much either. Like you could have a monarchy, you could have a dictator. I mean, God's going to use either of them, right? But um, um, he doesn't tell us how to organize the church. Although he does say that there's overseers, there's pastors, there's overseers, right? And there's servants of the pastors, right? So there is some prescription, but actually then like, do you have a president or do you, you have a board of directors? You have a board of elders, you have deacons. How do you govern? doesn't really tell you too much. Um, why did I bring that up? Oh yes, but he puts it in order, puts the church in order for your blessing, for your benefit, right? Same thing with families, right? I mean, you don't have, I know it's not a popular opinion, but Look, the best home for children is one with a mom and a dad. The psychology, all the study, the sociological and psychological studies show that that's best for kids. Um, and kids that grow up in, in, dis, in a broken homes, um, it is an obstacle. It's, it, it's, not, it's not always good for them, right? Uh, and that's where, of course, we, as compassionate people, come alongside and say, how can I help? And I've even seen, you know, especially when it's a single mother, that... You know, um, where you'll have men within the congregation that come alongside to help, even just helping around the house um, or pastor in teaching the kids the faith, that kind of thing, right? So we can come alongside and help um, and try to overcome some of that disadvantage. But it is a disadvantage. Right, Dorothy? No? Yeah. Yeah. And so I've seen, um, we had a, I had a classmate at seminary who died while he was at seminary and left behind wife and kids. And um, yeah, he had cancer. Um, and then, you know, Anne was friends with her. So then we kind of kept touch and it was, let's say she actually used one of these online dating services and within a, within a year or so, um, yeah, she found another Lutheran guy and he was, he was without children and they married and now the kids have a dad, right? You know, so yeah, uh, her first husband died while she was pregnant with their child, which was, yeah, she named him after him though. So a way of remembering yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. It's tragic and beautiful at the same time. All right, so we have, so we have um, if you don't know how Ephesians runs here, Ephesians 5 is husband and wife, right? And then that's a picture of Christ in the church. Then you have Ephesians 6, which is children. Uh, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Right, but bring them up. Here it is just like we heard in church today, in the training and admonition of the Lord. Um, and training, these, I mean, this is all, this is actually all military, so it can be military, it's at least schooling. Come on, pop up. Doesn't want to pop up on training. All right, so I have to look over here. Verse four. Oh yeah, it's paideia. Right, so this is the word for um, pedagogue. You know, pedagogy, pedagogue, pedagogy, it's the art of teaching, I think. It's usually how, is that how we'd say it? Oh, yeah, that's not going to hurt her. <laughs> well, look, she's listening. We're talking about you, Dorothy. She loves chords. She's my daughter. Um, and then admonition. And that's the new... It doesn't like that word either. It's not letting me pick, pop it up. That is... New it's okay. It's low voltage. It's not high voltage. It's fine. Seriously. You never got, like, you ever put your tongue on a 9 volt battery? It's not that big of a deal. Dorothy, 
They don't like you eating this. Look, if you crawl in here, you're just going to find more cables. Give her a toy or something, Leah. You're distracting me. All right, so we had so we had father, mother, or excuse me, husband and wife. Then we have parents and children. Then we have servants and masters. And we don't have to. I know people are like really like ah, slavery's terrible. Yeah, the Bible doesn't have quite as. It doesn't like chat. I mean, I think we can rightly say chattel slavery, like we saw here in the United States, where people were treated like um, animals. Is that's clearly against God's word. Um, but being bound to someone to pay a debt that you owe them, that's actually, you're all kind of slaves if you have any kind of credit card debt. I mean, you're just slaves to the bank, it's dead. I mean, that's what it's looking like. Yeah, you have to work, you have to work. You ever feel like you have to go to work? Just, it's kind of like bondage, slavery? Yeah, because you got all these bills you gotta pay? Okay, it's the same thing. They, just, they were just much more open about it. All right, but then um, he has uh, some instruction as to how to relate between masters and servants, which is fine. All right, and then the conclusion of all that is here, verse, verse 9. So this is Ephesians 6, verse 9, or 10, I should say. And you've heard this before, but if this isn't military, I don't know what is. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, oh, there you go, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's fun. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's all fun, right? Dementors. Really, seriously. Yeah. And the, the people with the mark. Who are the people with the mark? The, who, what was the, yeah, the Death Eaters in the, in the, yeah. There you go. How is that related to this? Harry Potter is a spiritual analogy. She's a, she's a Christian. She's a Christian. Mostly. Um, anyway, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, this is all armor language, right? Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, always praying with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Right? Praying, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So there's that watching language like we talked about with guard and watch. And for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may boldly speak boldly and I ought to speak. I have a feeling when Paul's writing, he's like, eh, I like this analogy. I'm just going to push it as far as I can. <laughs> Let's like talk about all the different kinds of armament and warfare, right? All right, so here's the key. Um, you, you get this, this armament. You receive all of this, um, what do we want to call it? Battle attire, I guess. It's a gift to you. It's given to you. It's given to every Christian. It's given by the word. And the, the spirit works these things through the word for you, right? Um, the, the only problem is, is if you choose to not wear it, right? Which, of course, we do. It's like, eh, I don't want to put that on. 
I met, this reminds me of the story of David, of course, and Goliath, right? And David has to try to wear Saul's armor. <laughs> it's like, that doesn't fit. That's not going to work. All right, so we have all sorts of things going on here. My, notice, my, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's the beginning of it, right? So who, who is the one who's fighting the battle? The Lord, right? Whose power is going to win the battle? The Lord, who has already won the battle, right? This is the same picture you see in the, in the like say, the conquest of Canaan with Joshua. Who actually defeats and conquers the enemies of Canaan? The angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord who goes before the army. The army just comes in and cleans up afterwards. So I've likened, you know, the Christian life in this world is really just after the death and resurrection of Jesus is really just kind of a mop-up battle. It seems like we're fighting this great and cataclysmic battle, um, but it, the battle's already been fought and won. Death has been defeated. We're, we're just, we're waiting, waiting as patiently as we can um, for the final consummation of all that has already been happened. So it's kind of like, well, to use Afghanistan again, because it's contemporary, um, I don't know if you know this, but there's actually large portions of Afghanistan that's fighting back against the Taliban. You don't see it in the news. They don't talk about it. There's, whole, there's a whole region uh, to the north. Pa yeah, the Pashtun. Yeah, Pashir. Um, you know, these are our allies that we abandoned there. Not happy about this. Um, um, but there's reporters on the ground. Yeah, um, it's a famous one that I follow, and uh, she keeps sending back images. They're trying, they're, they're on, they're on, they got the internet, they're trying to let you know, they're sending back images, they're talking about their, how they're poorly equipped, they need help, you know, but no, we're just gonna abandon them. She found more cords, by the way. Yeah, well, we gave the Taliban, you gave the Taliban, but not, not our allies that are fighting against the Taliban, yeah. Dorothy, these aren't even plugged in, so it doesn't even matter. Um, anyway, I mean, so that, that's just an analogy for you, right? Is to say, uh, yeah, maybe broadly speaking, the Taliban has pretty much taken over Afghanistan, but the battle's not over. I mean, maybe the victory has been won. They can declare victory, but they haven't finished their fighting, right? Um, and the Christian life is like that, right? Christ has already defeated sin, death, and devil, and yet there are still these skirmishes, right, daily, until finally on the last day, you know, sin, death, and devil are finally, for us, are realized... Uh, are finally ended. You're going to find some sheets and paper, whatever. Don't worry about her. Don't worry about her. The, um, well, part of, the, part of our problem, of course, is that we're temporal beings, right? So we're in time. So we, we haven't seen the end. We've been told what the end is like, but we haven't seen it. We haven't experienced it yet, right? But from Christ's perspective, who is the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and the end, he defeated the devil, sin, death, the devil. He put all things under his feet at the cross, which is, for him, the the last judgment too. So we're in that in-between time. Um, I just use whatever the Bible says about it, which sounds pretty terrible actually. Yeah. Um, you know, when Jesus says, you know, it'd be, he uses the destruction of Jerusalem by Rome, the Roman, uh, Roman government in AD 70 as, as the picture, right? You don't even want to be nursing infants in those days. And we talked about that, what, five weeks ago or something? Trinity, no, it was four weeks ago, it was Trinity 10, is when we hear about the destruction of Jerusalem as our gospel reading. This is the gospel of the Lord. Everybody's going to die. It's always kind of, it's recorded in the gospels, but it's not really all that great of good news, is it? Um, and I read some of the destruction of Jerusalem here in Bible study from 
from Eusebius. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they resorted to cannibalism. I mean, it's really, it's really terrible. Because they, Rome surrounded them. And just, yeah, just tear things apart. It's all good. Good. All right, so look at, look at here. The Lord has won the, the battle, and then put on the whole armor of God. It's already presumed that you have it. Just you have to put it on, right? That you may be able, and by the way, when we talk about may, I hate that word in English, just because it's not all that helpful. Um, in Greek, which you, can't, you can see over there, right? The word is, which is hard to say. Um, it's just imperative. Oh, no, put, what did I say was may? Put on, oh, that you may be able, right? Put on, da, 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 where was it? Verse 11, it jumped on me. There it is. Put on the, the whole armor of God, that you, yeah, it's, this is tense, either middle or passive. Might or may is how we usually translate it in English. So, um, that you be able by the Lord's giving, to stand against the wiles of the devil is how I would translate it. All right? So what are the wiles of the... Wiles? That's a funny word. What does it say there if I click the little two? What do you think? This thing is not doing what it's supposed to do. Wiles. Wake up. There we go. Schemings. Ooh, that's a fun word. Yeah. Does the devil scheme? Here's the other thing about talking about spiritual warfare. You landed on my foot. It's okay. I'm just going to set you down nice and gentle. There you go. <laughs> Do you want me to pick you up? All right, good. The schemings, the wiles. The devil is God's devil is another famous saying from Luther. Meaning he's, he's already, his power is limited. This is in the Old Testament with Job. You see it there. You see it in the New Testament too, right? That the devil can only... Like, think about with the casting of the, um, we read this in Mark's gospel probably a couple weeks ago, right? Four or five weeks ago. When he cast the, the legion into the swine, they ask him to be cast into the swine because they don't want to be without a body. Right? Demons want to occupy someone or something. Right? So they, they can't, they ask, they, they're subject, they call him Lord. The demons are subject to God. We forget this. We think that they just, yes, they scheme and try to work against God, but but they're under his authority. So the idea that we're like somehow powerless against, against our own sin, against the wild schemes of the devil, against the evil in this world, is that's, that's actually one of the devil's lies. God's equipped you with all the armor, everything that you need to quench the fiery darts of the evil one, right? That's what it said. And yet we act as if the devil is like an equal authority and power, as powerful as God is. It's like, no. Hi, Dorothy. Yeah, I know. Don't pull my beard. That's her favorite thing to do. I'm going to have to get rid of it. But I think it'd be worse if it's shorter. I don't know. Um, so notice, we do not wrestle against blood, flesh and blood. Meaning, people. Right? Even when the enemy is a person, what's the problem? Is it the person themselves? Or rather, the ideology, the lie, the false belief that they're held captive to. Right? So, yes, there, there is demonic affliction. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched like any of the Antifa riots. Have you ever watched any of these things? You know, these, these uh, normally young people and then other kinds of ex-cons and other terrible, you know, people who have done terrible things. 
Um, they're not terrible people. They've done terrible things, right? And you look at it, and sometimes it is truly demonic, the, the things that they say and want to do. Um, Wait, what are you saying? Antifa, you know the rioters, like last summer? It's like willfully going about and destroying other people's property. Is, is, it's an ideology, but, it, but it's a lie, right? Because you, the, the truth is, is that God gives property to people, and that according to like the seventh commandment, right? Preserve your neighbor's possession and income, right? And to actually destroy it and say that's like reparations or whatever lies they were saying. Um, it's, it's a teaching of demons. It's a teaching of demons. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Destroying their reputation. Right. Um, so that's the problem with evil is that uh, a lot of people actually, if you go on the, uh, if you go on the internets, I know it's kind of dangerous, but go, go, you can either do this on Facebook or Twitter. Go to the, like, um, pick, pick your favorite, like, local politician. Probably the best example of the most examples of this is uh, Senator Ron Johnson. So look at something he posts and then read the comments. And I mean, it's, it's truly evil. The things that people say to him and about him and against him. I mean, regardless of whether, you know, it's not a charitable way. You're not going to actually convince him or you're not going to, like if he's done wrong, if you believe he's like actually broken the law, then, then you do what you need to do, right? Present the evidence. He's, he's held to account by the law, but it's not that. It's literally people who are held captive to an ideology that just hate him, hate him with like fifth commandment, like murderous kind of way. Oh yeah. Well, and they just say, ah, that's just political speech. Remember what like vice president said about our current, you know, president, resident in chief. Yeah. The thing she said, and then she, they asked her about it. Like you said these terrible things about like Tara Reid and the sexual abuse that he's been accused of. You're like, you said he was a rapist and whatnot. And she's like, yeah, it's just politics. Yeah. You don't accuse somebody of that. Isn't that incredible? It's just politics? Well, um, anyway, what are we talking about? Yeah, we're not wrestling against people. Some people, though, maybe, not to pick on any particular examples, might actually be truly held captive to not only demonic teachings, but actual demons, right? And we're, we're just naive to think that this doesn't ever happen anymore. Um, one of the most not notable places of this is if you try to talk to a, a, a pro-abortion activist person. Not, not somebody who's like a... There, there are more liberal-minded, compassionate like people, but the people who are like, like, we should be able to kill children all the way up until they come out the birth canal. Right? And just like, and, and violent, almost violent in speech about this. Um, it's... You're so under the sway of this idea that you won't even listen. It's, it's not even. It's not even just emotional anymore. It's because it's it's past even the point of like of, of like a reasonable kind of emotional response. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what else to call it, but but demonic. Again, we don't want to damn the person, right? It's always a call to repentance. But then again, um, God also sends His. Like into Canaan, these are unbelievers that are violently opposed to God and his word. And what does he do to them? He wipes them out. Not only them, um, but before that, actually everybody who had rebelled against God, who were even his chosen people in the wilderness, died in the wilderness and didn't get to go into the promised land. Right? Hopefully in the resurrection, but not the, one that, not the earthly one. All right, so again, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, these are just all really highly technical terms here. 
Uh, we've got what? Flesh. It's blood and flesh. I don't know why they changed the words. The word order is blood and flesh, by the way. But against the the principalities, it's the archies. It's the one. It's the leader, commanding officers, against the what was the other word? Powers. It's actually authorities. So against the ruling leaders, the authorities, and then the who? This is a weird word. The the cosmocratoros, the lords of this world. How do they translate it? The rulers of the darkness of this age. I don't know. It's the rulers of the of the cos of. It's the rulers of this world and the darkness of this age, right? Worldly rulers. Now remember, like when Jesus is, Satan, is tempted by Satan in the wilderness, what does Satan promise him? Things that Satan actually can deliver to him. What? Right? Look at all these kingdoms. Just bow down to me and you can have authority over them. And like, wait a minute. So Satan actually... He has authority over the kingdoms of this world? Yeah, if this world's been consigned to destruction, right? So again, what are we wrestling against? Not against flesh and blood, but against um, evil powers. Evil, yeah. Yeah. So this is always, so this is, this is why our, what we see as real as Christians, there's like multiple levels, right? We see people doing stupid things. Like being inept and, and what, just unqualified. I mean, this is like Obama's B team is running the show today. This is the JV squad. Yeah, I mean, they're not even that great at it, right? Yeah, but, and they, a lot of these things they tried before. Um, anyway, that's that's side note. But you look at it and like, that's ineptitude. And yet, they're tools, is what we would believe as Christians. As all political leaders are at times, tools that the devil uses to bring about hurt, harm, um, what? Suffering, pain, unbelief ultimately, right? What does he want more than anything is that for you who believe that Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth, King of kings, Lord of lords, to believe that he's not, right? And that, and that even the demons aren't under his sway and this, this terrible stuff that's happening all the time around the world, that you're powerless to it. And in some degree you are, right? If it happens at a federal level, even at a state level, there's not much you can do about it. But you do have authority here in this congregation. You probably have authority in your community, whether it's Random Lake or Adel, right? Um, or, you know, the township. I mean, you do, you have authority over your family, right? You can at least watch and guard after them and defend them with whatever means you have right now. You could still arm yourself. I suppose that's one way. <laughs> but even with words, right? With ideas. With, give, your, give your family better ideas, right? You don't like what the state's doing? Then live apart from the state. Live in a different way. I've argued that we should set up our own currency for our little community. No, I mean, we could. Because we, I mean, we can cover most of the bases, like here. And we have most resources that we need. Not everything. We still have electricity and other things that we need externally. But you know, we've got the farmers, and we've got the crops, and we've got, we've got workers, we've got tradespeople. We just, have to, we just need a means of exchange, you know? Some kind of currency that we agree upon its value. And then, what? Chamber bucks. Yeah, we'll just use chamber bucks. I like it. Just use the chamber bucks. We already have it. Look at that. Didn't even have to invent it. It has no value except for the value that we give to it. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's all currency is anyway. Uh, yeah. 
rubber bucket? It was actually like rubber. It was attached to the bottles or something? Or? If we gave them a hint or something, how to do something, make something better or nicer, you'll suggest we get a rubber bucket. Oh, is it like an incentive in the workplace for good behavior? All right, so we, so anyway, back to the story, back to the story. So we have rulers, authorities, um, cosmic, cosmic rulers over the darkness of this present age, and not only of earthly rulers, right, but of this present age, but also we have the Skotus, where is it? Oh, I lost my place. The... Numa Maktikia, which are the, the spiritual authorities, spiritual hosts, the spiritual armies actually, um, in the heavenly of the heavenly places. Wickedness. Oh, there's Porneras in there too of, of wickedness in the heavenly places. So I mean, it's a pretty significant battle, is it not? Right. If you've got, you've basically got everything stacked against you, except for you have Jesus, right? And you have all the armaments that He gives, right? So there, therefore, verse 13, therefore, for this reason, or through this, take up um, all the armaments of God. The word is panoplion. What do we, we have a word, English word from that. Panoply? Panoply? You know what I'm talking about? Panoply. That's the word. I'm not pronouncing it correctly. Panoply? What is a panoply? It's like all the stuff attached to something. Right, so here it is. It's the... It's the, uh, it's the shield, the helmet, the breastplate, the greaves, the sword, the lance. It's the full suit of armor. Right? That's what it means. It's all the stuff. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able, may. Again, I'm not a big fan of may because may sounds like might. Maybe. No, so that you are able, by God's giving, to withstand in the evil day. It's actually the day of the evil one. Is there an evil day? Yep. And having done all to stand, which is another, that has a military idea, right? Both feet planted, armored, armed. Bring it on, right? Well, that takes courage. Where does courage come from? Alcohol, drinking, right? Liquid courage. No? Jesus, right. Yeah, having confidence. Um, that Jesus has already won the back victory, and he's given you everything you need for the war, for the battle. I've been thinking a lot about this, and this is why we did this Bible study, is that um, I was raised in kind of a weird time in the church, the 80s. <laughs> it was a weird time for everybody, but, you know, the world was like Cold War. There was, there was constant, like, we were still doing, like, um, what do you call it when you have to duck under your desk? That was tornado drills, right? No, tornado, we had to go down the basement. What was and you have to go into your desk. That was for, like, bomb threats, right? I was still doing that growing up. Yeah, we'd have the drills. Well, part of it, I think part of it was we were at Purdue, so you figure that if they're going to attack, they're going to attack, like, places of uh, engineering, intelligence. They're not going to go after the farm. They don't care about the farmers. They'll, just, they'll attack the major metros and the places where there's centers of learning and development. Um, especially military, in Purdue with aviation, right? Uh, and rocketry, science. Even our daughter in her classroom up in Berlin, they have St. John. Mm -hmm. um, last year, she didn't have so many kids, like maybe 12, I think. And she said if there would have been a, whatever alert coming, like a shooter coming, yeah. or something, 
all her kids and her could have gotten into this one closet in her classroom and, you know, first they blocked the door. Oh, act, in an active shooter situation? And then I was just, my kids just used a little while. Yeah. Something. They were told to, you know, first block their classroom or try to get out of the building. So that would be my first choice. What was I talking about? Oh, being a child of the 80s. So we were surrounded in the world by all this warfare kind of talk still, right? I mean, we were armed to the teeth. Nuclear apocalypse, you know, doomsday. What was the doomsday clock? It's still, you know, all that conversation. And yet, in the church, we were being taught there wasn't, no, we're all, we're all going to get together. It was this time of great ecumenical triumph. You know, we're one happy family. This is the rise of Christian contemporary music. Like we can all share the same music, and we can all, you know. And at the and, and there was, there were only a few that you know, my experience, where they were saying, you know what, actually we need to make sure that we're preaching and teaching consistently with what God's word says, because the church is still being attacked, but it's not being attacked the way you think it is. The attack is to to draw you away from what's been handed down to you. And have you attach yourself to really what are worldly teachings, but they've been dressed up with spirit, with Christiany language, you know, like, like if, you know, if you just pray, God will answer, you know, and you'll get your sports car or whatever, you know, I mean, that's kind of crass version, but that, the churches ended up being very worldly. We didn't behave or act in a way that really distinguished us, at least the church I was growing up, you know, I had a, I had a pastor that on a Sunday, when it was kind of a youthy, youth Sunday, we're having our basketball tournament, he got out his guitar, electric guitar, he had a Marshall stack, he was kind of a cool guy, you know, with his electric guitar. He didn't usually play in church, but he did this Sunday, and it, instead of Gloria, it was J-E-S-U-S, it was the, but it was the tune, the Gloria tune, and he was rocking, he played the guitar solo and everything. Um, it always struck me as kind of like, all right, I guess it's kind of cool in a way, you're like trying to co-opt the, the language of the world and make it more Christian-y. But it was super distracting because it's like, well, what was wrong with what we normally, do, what we've been doing, you know? Which, um, like in our tradition as Lutherans, it's most of what we sing and do is, you know, about anywhere between 1,500 and 1,800 years worth of tradition that we're relying upon. We have hymns, we'll sing hymns from the second and third century all the way up to the present, right? Yeah, thanks, Gabe. Gabe says they're the best hymns, the old ones, right? Not everybody likes the old hymns. Uh, but you get the idea. It's like, do you really want to cast all that aside if that's the heritage that's been handed down? Because maybe those things are actually one of, you know, the way that the hymn writers spoke today might have actually set, were setting a helpful watch and guard for you to think how to think about um, about your life in this world. I don't know if you're paying too much attention to the, the words, yeah. but if you, if you look at some of the, the hymns that we sang today, um, it's like, no, you actually are going to experience suffering and distress and difficulty and whatnot. But like as a young person in the church, I was taught that none of those things happen. What's the problem though? Is when something comes along, like the death of a love, you know, grandparent or something, and you're like, I have no, I have no capacity to deal with it because I wasn't, I wasn't armed for this, right? I didn't receive the word that I could speak into a situation like, you know, like in my case in high school, this is a tragic death of, I had, yeah, four classmates die in a car accident, you know, um, when I was a freshman in high school, right? Which, 
most, I mean, I had, I had some, I was better equipped than most people being a Christian, but a lot of people had nothing. They had, you know, they were cutting themselves. They were, you know, doing all sorts of, you know, physical violence to try to deal with the, with the, really what was a catastrophic event there. Right. So that's my point is that we don't want to cast off the armament that God gives us. Otherwise we're not prepared for when when it's needed, when the fiery darts come. And the fiery darts don't always come from the front. There's flanks and there's rear attack as well. So you have to be on guard from, from without and from within. And you might be attacked even within the church. But let's not talk about that. How are we doing on time? Okay, I think that's probably a good place. There's other texts we could look at. I have all sorts of lists here that I was going to, we could talk about. Um, Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. 16 would be a place to look if you want. Jesus, of course, uses um, probably the big word from Jesus as far as spiritual warfare goes is actually the word we use for church, which is ecclesia. Have you heard that word? We, from it, we get ecclesiastical. We've heard that, referring to of the church, right? But the ecclesia, the gathering, is like the, the military term would be a muster. You heard that word? Yeah. This is what you do. Um, that comes from like the old time. This is still actually as it, as it happens in Afghanistan. I forget their word for it, um, where they say, you know, basically they have the horn or whatever. We talked about the trumpet or the horn that calls people to battle. They lay down whatever they're doing in the field, go grab their weapon, and they join in the battle. That's the mustering, you know, of the forces, right? Um, Jesus uses the word ecclesia. That's the word he's, he's talking about, mustering together. Um, a congregation out of, out of this world to gather around him. And he does this with his disciples, right? He gathers together himself to himself a people. And as we heard on Friday, David does that, right? He goes into, or Thursday, he goes into the cave in Adullam, right? And then his family comes to him, his brothers come to him, right? They're all, they're all ready to go. And then they also gather others who are in need. And now David has 400 men with him, right? He musters it. But he, David does it the same way Jesus does, by providing them shelter, comfort, mercy, protection, right? Not by um, promising them, like Saul does, land and authorities and being in command. What else does Saul provide? Gold, silver, whatever, you know, spoils. David promises them the things that Jesus does, right? So... Uh, so maybe the, the section in the hymnal that we don't sing too much of, but we probably should do more of, that, that church militant, um, or is that like in the 700-somethings, right? You know, maybe uh, we need to do a little bit more of that. Um, and of course, we've, we don't fight. I'm trying to summarize all this for you. We don't fight the same way the world fights, right? We, don't, we actually fight with the, with the tools of the Spirit. So now take this armament language, which you see here, and... Think of that armament as being also with also bearing the fruits of the spirit, <laughs> right? So how do you fight against evil with goodness, with kindness, with gentleness? Really? Yeah. With generosity, with patience. How do you suffer evil? You turn the other cheek, right? You suffer it. Rather than fight back, you suffer it. Like, um, so Christians are passive in a way, but we're not pacifists. This is what I wanted to kind of leave you with. So I think I grew up in a church that was really more pacifist. Like, we're not going to fight against evil. No, we fight against it. It's just the tools that we use are different. Right? If we see injustice, we provide justice. 
If we see somebody in need, we provide for them, like in need hunger, we provide them food, et cetera, et cetera. If they need a coat, you give them, you give them two, <laughs> you know? It's like, but that is warfare still. It's still a battle, right? It's also a battle against yourself because you don't want to give up anything. <laughs> so that's the hard part about it. But um, because the world's not going to do it that way. They're, they're going to behave differently. They're going to like say, here, we'll let you settle in Wisconsin and we'll give you free health care and free stuff. And then we're going to militarize you against fellow other well, against the citizens of the country. Right? So we're we're going to help you, but we're going to actually we're going to use you then, right? And Christians, we don't we don't need to use people. <laughs> you come join us if you want. That's fine. All right. So that's kind of the military language. Right? Is that helpful? Yeah. You that want. Oh, stand up, stand up for Jesus. Oh, yeah, honor Christian soldiers. Yeah, part of my problem, I, th or I, think, I think part of the problem with the militaristic language is that um, the history of the Crusades kind of looms large, or at least it's used against Christians pretty frequently. Like, look at all the horrible things you did, you know. And it's like, well, one, I'm not responsible for what they did in the Crusades. I'm sorry. Um, two, yes, they were misguided, and yes, they did put like a cross on their shield in order to justify their actions, and that was wrong. In the same way that people who owned slaves used the Bible to prove it, as well as the abolitionists, right? I mean, yeah, you can use God's word to do great evil and harm, um, but I don't. But we can't avoid the fact that the Bible actually commends us to that that approach to consider ourselves as being in a fight, in a battle. But I think, like we said here, we're not battling against each other. We're battling against a greater um, evil authority. And yes, sometimes we're going to meet people that are truly demon-possessed, I think. Um, and they're, they're actually, I've done this. I've actually done an exorcism. and It wasn't a person, it was a house. You know? And we have God's word. I, would, I was like, it's kind of freaky, but just say, you know, just pray over. We prayed over the whole house, each room. And then you know, we're tormented anymore. If there was, if it was possessed, it wasn't anymore after that. Yeah, I don't know, because like, you can't see it, right? Like, you can't feel it, which is kind of weird. That's, oh yeah, yeah. There's a presence. It's weird. That's very strange. And I've been around people too. I'm like this is not. This person is being held captive. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it. It's just very strange. Um. The worst experience was in, when I went to a Hindu temple. I mean, those people are definitely being held captive by a demonic force. I mean, it's unbelief, obviously. It's, yeah. Um, but just... Because you don't know what a Hindu temple is like unless you go to one. I just happened to be there on a feast day when they were worshiping this whatever god was in the corner there of that room. That was, that, I mean, I've never palpably felt that kind of... But I've had professors who go to like a temple in India where they actually have like temple prostitution and other kinds of violent actions happening in the temple. And it, yeah. So what I experienced was nothing in the United States because you can't get away with that here. <laughs> so um, I'm not saying you should go like look at look, look for it and go turn over every rock and try to find, you know, things to fight against. My point is that it's already, you already have the fight internally with your own flesh and then you're going to see it in this world. And locally, in other ways too. Yeah. All right, let's close with prayer then. <laughs> Something more positive.
Heavenly Father, you sent your Son Jesus into this world to defeat uh, the powers and principalities of this present uh, darkness. We ask that um, you would equip us as you equipped him, actually equip us with Jesus, who is um, our clothing, who is our armor, who is our shield, who has defeated sin, death, and devil for us, and now um, has promised us the same victory. Um, send your Son with us in all things, and have your Spirit uh, rule over our hearts that we would act, think, and do um, according to the word of your Son. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.